Part two, chapter seven A of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording, or LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Seventeen ninety seven to seventeen ninety eight. Exile in England. My husband was busy with his affairs and had undertaken negotiations to repurchase a part of the estate of Hautefontaine, which had been sold when one morning at daybreak the eighteenth fructidor the fourth of september seventeen ninety seven i thought i heard upon the boulevard a noise of artillery carriages as my room looked out on the court i told marguerite to go to the window of the salle a manger to see what was going on on her return she told me that the boulevard was filled with a number of generals with troops and cannon i arose as soon as possible and sent to awaken my husband who was sleeping in the room above mine we both went to the window where a short time later we were joined by madame de valence augereau was there giving orders the rue de capucines and the rue neuve du luxembourg were barricaded towards midday as nobody had brought us any news madame de valence and i inspired by curiosity went out quietly dressed in order not to be remarked with the intention of going to see madame de stal as the streets above mentioned were barricaded by pieces of cannon and the rue de la paix was not in existence at that period we were obliged to ascend as far as the rue de richelieu to find a free passage all the shops were closed there were a good many people out but no one was talking finally we arrived at the residence of madame de stal she was with benjamin constant and very much incensed with him because he maintained that the directory in arresting the deputies had only performed an indispensable coup d'etat from monsieur constant we learned that all of the emigres who had returned had received an order once more to leave france under pain of being judged by military commissions this news filled me with consternation and i hastened to return home to inform my husband on arriving i found my husband very much perplexed as to the means of notifying my aunt of these events she was living at saint ouen and the gates of paris were closed no one was able to pass the barriers without a special permission by a singular piece of good fortune i met madame de pontecoulant whom i knew as i had often seen her with madame de valence i will tell later on who she was as she had a permit of the section for herself and her maid she was able to go to saint denis where her country house was located i begged her to let me take the place of the maid and with her usual kindness she consented you can easily imagine with what exclamations i was received by madame de poix and my aunt the latter decided to leave at once for england with these ladies were several former emigres who were in despair of the necessity of once more leaving france by the terms of the decree all the emigres who had returned upon french territory 
were ordered to leave Paris within 24 hours and France within a week. My idea was to return at once to Le Bouille. Having left France with a proper passport, and having returned with this same passport, duly visaed by the French authorities in the United States and in Spain, I thought that the decree could not apply to us, as we had not returned secretly. To assure himself on this point, my husband went to find Monsieur de Talleyrand, the latter, very much occupied with his own future, was not giving much thought to that of others. He at once replied without hesitation that it was not his affair, and told us to submit the case to Sautin, the Minister of Police. I accordingly went to see Talien, who received me very cordially. He promised to go at once to see Sautin, to have him annotate the paper without which we could not have visaed the passport of the municipality of Saint-André de Cubzac, with which we had come to Paris and which you must have in our possession in order to pass the barriers. I came home quite disturbed and commenced to pack my trunks. A police decree had just been posted, ordering all proprietors to send in a report as to the persons living in the houses who were at Paris without papers in regular order. We were unwilling to cause any trouble to Madame de Montesson, with whom we were lodging. Finally, after a trying delay of several hours, Talien sent me back the request which he had submitted to the inspection of Sautin. The minister had added with his own hand and signed the following annotation. This private individual is within the law. Talien, in the note which he wrote me at the same time, in the third person, excused himself politely for not having been able to obtain anything. But the end of his note could be translated by the words, I wish you a bon voyage. There were two alternatives from which to choose. We could ask for a passport for Spain and proceed to Le Bouille, where I could remain some time while my husband went to St. Sebastien. This would have been the wisest course. We could also go to England, and from there, according to circumstances, return to America. My aunt, Madame Denine, had much influence with my husband, and she induced him to adopt the latter course. We had very little money, but were assured of finding at London my stepmother, Madame Dillon, and many other very close relations who without doubt would be disposed to come to our aid. We therefore decided to leave for England. Having come to Paris with the intention of remaining only five or six weeks, we had brought with us only the most necessary baggage. I had, in addition, several dresses which I had had made at Paris. Two very small trunks contained all of our baggage, including that of my maid Marguerite, who had decided this time not to leave us. This departure was destined to have the most unfortunate consequences for us. We were in negotiations with the new owners of Hautefontaine to repurchase the property, but this new emigration put an end 
to all of our arrangements. The two or three days which preceded our departure were passed in a state of sadness and disquietude. Perhaps it would have been better for us to have returned at a wheel. The report was current that Barris, who had yielded for the moment to the demands of his colleagues, would soon regain his authority and at the same time resume his favourable disposition regarding the emigres. Everywhere you met people who were in despair over this new emigration. We reserved three places in a carriage which was to take us in three days to Calais. Two other places were occupied by Monsieur de Beauvau and by a cousin of Madame de Valence, the young César Ducrest, an amiable young man who was destined to perish so miserably several years later. The French are naturally light-hearted, so in spite of the fact that we were all in despair, ruined, furious, we found nevertheless the means of being in good humour and of laughing. Monsieur de Beauvau, our cousin, was going to rejoin his wife, who had been a Mademoiselle de Mortemar, and his three or four children. She was living in a country house at Staines, near Windsor, with her grandfather, the Duc d'Arcourt, formerly governor of the first Dauphin, who died at Meudon in 1789. Madame de Beauvau was the youngest of the three granddaughters of the Duc d'Arcourt. Their mother had married the Duc de Mortemar and had died long before the Revolution. Monsieur de Mortemar had then married a Mademoiselle de Prisac, the mother of the present Duke. We appeared before all municipalities in the localities situated on the route, including those of Calais where we embarked on the packet one evening at eleven o'clock. I was seated upon the deck, holding my daughter in my arms, while Marguerite was occupied in putting my son to bed, and my husband was suffering as usual from seasickness, although there was little wind and the night was superb. Beside me was a gentleman who, seeing me embarrassed with my child, proposed to me with an English accent, that I should lean against him. And as I turned to thank him, he saw my face in the moonlight and cried, Bon Dieu, est-ce que possible? It was young Jeffreys, son of the editor of the Edinburgh Review. I had seen him every day at Boston at his uncle's at the time of our sojourn in that hospitable city three years before. We talked much of America and of the regret which I had felt in leaving it. I gave him to understand that in spite of the presence of all my family in England, I was going there inspired only by the desire and the plan of returning to my farm, if all hope of a return to France vanished, or at least became indefinite. The night passed in talking of England with my companion, and the first rays of the sun revealed to us the white cliffs of England, to which a strong south-east wind had brought us near. We landed to find ourselves handed over to the brutality of the English customs officers, who seemed to me worse even than those of Spain. At the sight of my passport, which I presented at the alien office, I was asked if I was a subject of the King of England. 
and upon my affirmative reply they told me that I should give as reference some person who was known in England. Having named without hesitation my three uncles, Lord Dillon, Lord Kenmare, and Sir William Jerningham, the tone and manner of these employés changed very quickly. These details took up the morning. After an English luncheon, or rather dinner, we left Dover for London. We spent the night at Canterbury or at Rochester. My recollections are not very precise as to the locality. And the following morning we arrived at London and went to one of the inns in Piccadilly. As I had written my aunt, Lady Jerningham, from Dover to announce our arrival, she had sent her son Edward to bring us to her house in Bolton Row. Her reception was entirely maternal. She immediately informed us of her departure for her country place at Cossey, where she said she expected to stay at least six months. She invited us to come and pass this time with her. My good aunt was particularly amiable towards my husband, and being very fond of children, she conceived at once a great affection for Umbert. We therefore took up our residence in Bolton Row like children of the family. Here I found again my excellent old friend, the Chevalier Jerningham, brother of Sir William, the husband of my aunt. The faithful friendship which he had shown me since my childhood was as sweet as it was useful during my sojourn in England. I was arranging to go to see my stepmother, Madame Dillon, who had been living in England for two years, when she came to see my aunt. My arrival in London was an event in the family. Here I met again Betsy de la Touche, the daughter of my stepmother. She had been confided to my care in 1789 and 1790, when she was at the convent of the Assumption, where I often went to see her, and whence I alone had permission to take her out from time to time. She had married Edward de Fitzjames. She was a very sweet and amiable young woman, worthy of all good fortune. She was passionately fond of her husband, who did not return her affection, and his cruel and public infidelities had broken her heart. Alexandre de la Touche, her brother, was three years younger than herself. He was a handsome young man, light-headed, gay, but with little mind and still less education. He had all the whims of the young émigrés who had nothing to do, was destitute of any talent, loved horses, society and small intrigues, but never opened a book. My stepmother, who as long as I knew her, never had a book on the table, could not have given him any taste for reading. She herself was not lacking in natural intelligence, and had good manners and was well-bred. Nevertheless, I have often asked myself why my father, who was endowed with a superior mind and was a man of fine education, had married a woman older than himself. It is true that she was rich, but nevertheless she could not pass for being what was called an heiress. Although he desired a son above all things, they had only three daughters, 
Two died as small children, and only the eldest, Fanny, survived. My uncle, the Archbishop, and my grandmother were living in London. I had not seen them since my departure from their house in 1788. My aunt, Lady Jerningham, thought that I would do well to pay them my respects, and the good Chevalier, her brother-in-law, undertook to ask them if they would consent to receive me. My grandmother, seeing that the Archbishop decided, dared not offer any opposition. At the same time, she made a condition that my husband should not accompany me. I could have made this condition a pretext for not going to see them, but I feigned ignorance. My husband, besides, was very happy to be relieved of this visit, for even at this time, he confessed to me later, he knew that my grandmother had spoken very unkindly of him since she had been in London. If I had known this at the time, I should certainly have refrained from going to see her. One morning, therefore, I turned my steps towards Thayer Street with my little Umbert. It was not without an emotion mingled with many different feelings that I knocked at the door of this modest mansion inhabited by my uncle and my grandmother. The house seemed to me to take the place without transition of the fine hotel of the Faubourg Saint-Germain, where I had passed my childhood, surrounded by the luxury and the splendour which can be obtained in life with an income of four hundred thousand francs, which the Archbishop of Narbonne enjoyed at that time. An old domestic opened the door for me, and seeing me, he burst into tears. He was one of the servants of Hautefontaine, where he had been present at my marriage. He preceded me, and I heard him announce me in a voice full of emotion, saying, Here is Madame de Gouvernet. My grandmother arose and came to meet me. I kissed her hand. Her reception was very cold, and she called me Madame. At the same moment, the Archbishop entered, and throwing his arms around my neck, he kissed me tenderly, and then... Seeing my son, he embraced him several times. He addressed several questions in English and in French to the boy, who replied with an intelligence which charmed my uncle. My uncle invited me to come to dinner the following day with six old bishops from Languedoc, whom he had taken en pension at his table. They were all former acquaintances of mine. As for my husband... He was not mentioned. I announced my plan to go and visit my aunt at Cossy during the period of her sojourn there. The Archbishop expressed his satisfaction, but my grandmother was certainly much put out. End of part two, chapter seven a.